The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you are listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So today's show is titled, Who Do You Think You Are?, Our former lives in addiction left us feeling at best like bad actors and at worst like monsters. We had a case of mistaken identity regarding ourselves as spiritual beings. The recovery journey offers an opportunity to grow into this entirely new sense of ourselves. And so today we want to talk about how to find out who you really are and how your new identity can bring deep meaning to your life and to your life's work. And we'll begin by sharing our experiences of mistaken identity prior to recovery and then move into the solution by talking about our true identities as spiritual beings. And then after the break, we'll both share how we use this truth to move to a life of deep meaning. So, Dan, when I was growing up, I had this uh, sense of self that I, I will just say was lacking, you know, I, I took on what other people, I thought other people thought of me. And I, um, <clears throat> I always identified myself in relationship to someone else or something else. I had no central point of, of relationship. Um, I was the eldest of uh, four girls within a five-year span. And so I was always the big sister or the caretaker or, you know, the one looking after, making sure things got taken care of. My mom worked night shift. She was a nurse. And so I was in charge of a lot of things in terms of keeping keeping everything moving. Um, and I realized that somebody asked me one time to define myself and not use any nouns. You know, I can't say I am huh. a sister or I am a daughter or I am, you know, a teacher or I am a you know, basically don't use the word A. And I couldn't do it. I had no concept of my relationship in the world to myself. Yeah, that would be hard. 
So it sounds like uh, what I'm hearing you saying is in hindsight, but now you can see that as you look back at your life. Uh, so were you aware of it then, or was this the kind of thing that you now see that and you weren't aware of it then? Oh, I was absolutely not aware of it at that point in time. I, um, I took those on as roles. I identified myself my whole life by the role that I was wearing, or I could say the hat that I was wearing at that given point in time. And um, I was always defining myself by somebody else's label. You know, um, I, some people might know my name, but like we'd go to town and it was, oh, you're Bob's daughters, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it was that type of a thing, um, you know, or I was defined as the smart kid, you know, or the good kid. Um, you know, and as the eldest, I realized today, I know today from the recovery work that I've done that I was taking on this make the family look good hero uh, perspective, um, which really fed the disconnect because of how I felt and how I thought it was different and disconnected from how I behaved. Yeah, I, I also have that experience uh, when I think back to how I was uh, earlier in life, even, you know, pre-active addiction, um, I had no concept at that time. You know, I had no language around, no understanding around what it was. I think that that's kind of how we all are. We just, we only know what we know and we are who we are. And it takes a lot of time to get any kind of perspective. So if I think back in hindsight, I, I have to say that I felt, I felt uh, that life was, I guess, as I've heard said, just sort of flesh and circumstances. You know, I didn't really see much deeper meaning to it uh, other than whatever it is or was that I would experience. You know, I certainly didn't have any concept of a higher power, let alone a concept of or an identity of who I was, anything other than whatever happened to be going around, going on around me at the time, but I didn't know that back then. You know, I think one of the results for me was that <clears throat> when I'm trying to measure up to um, an external measuring stick, somebody else's idea, what I thought was somebody else's idea of who I should be, I always took on this sense of not enough. I was, I was not uh, ever going to be able to achieve uh, um, enoughness, you know, I was never going to be able to get a better grade, a, you know, to, to excel academically, uh, um, athletically, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of those things that I was measuring myself by externally, um, you know, that, and that, that emptiness, that sense of not being enough, but yet driven by the desire to do better and do more. Um, that stayed with me for a very, very long time. And I have that as well, I think. As you say that, I, I can feel in myself, and again, this is all in, in hindsight because I certainly didn't have the understanding around it at the time, but I seem to have thought that if I was going to be okay in the world, I kind of had to you know, carve out a space where I could do that. It, and it was something that I had to do. It, it was It was, in a sense... Um, you know, the world was something I had to defend myself against and find a safe place in rather than um, feeling any kind of connection to the world in a larger sense. So 
I, re- I remember just sort of feeling like, you know, if, if this is going to work, I just need to, I need to get and protect my own sort of personal space. And that worked for me for a long time. Certainly as an introvert, that was compatible. Oh, I have a similar I- identification with that. I, uh, after years later, years later, after I got into therapy, a therapist told me, she said, you know, you made a decision as a young person that you were going to be in charge of your life, that this was never going to happen to you, that you were not going to have the circumstances of your life be what it was when you were growing up, you know, lack of money and hardship, all of these things that was my perception at that point in time. And I don't remember that I made a conscious decision like that. But when I look back, I can see that that's the way that I ran my life was that um, to put myself in a position to be in control, to be in control of my destiny, to be in control of today, of the decisions that got made, of uh, my future. And, you know, and that requires a certain, for me, it required a lack of vulnerability to new ideas or to change because I was a control freak. That was that was part of the legacy from, um, from the, the, the upbringing that I had was to, you know, who's going to do it? You know, God helps those that helps themselves. Go help yourself. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, that was kind of the message I got from that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, for whatever reason, uh, felt the same way that, um, you know, it was it was on me or up to me to create whatever it is that I wanted to uh, have around me and to avoid whatever it is that I found unpleasant in the world. I was at that time, um, and then, you know, this is not just childhood, but through my 20s and 30s, even basically an extinctionist. I mean, we talk about um, having a case of, quote, mistaken identity, uh, but to do that, I think I had to have some other... Have we lost Dan? Okay, so Dan was saying he had to have some other, probably sense of identity. We'll connect with him when he gets back online. And for me, you know, I had um, some of these same ideas reinforced by uh, my own experience uh, in the religious environment that I was exposed to. And I say exposed because I didn't grow up in a family that had a lot of of um, uh, religious training. I was um, I was brought into the Lutheran church. And then when we moved, I was brought into the Methodist church. And then I was exposed to the Christian church. And then I was exposed to the Baptist church. And along the lines, I acquired these ideas about who I was based on what I was hearing. And these were things like, uh, the you know, born bad, for example, the, the doctrine of of original sin. And so I would ponder these things like, am I even is it possible that I could be good? Is it possible that, you know, there's there's no hope for me really outside of somewhere or something else intervening? And so I was really feeling pretty hopeless about about all of that. Um, you know, if the the born bad, born sinner, that kind of thing. And so I tried harder to do my best and was doing the best that I could, uh, controlling my environment, trying to control outcomes not realizing that I was responsible for my efforts in the right direction and that um, 
God, if you want to call get that God, spiritual principles, whatever, would take care of the results. And so I felt this big disconnect, this, this huge disconnect between who I believed myself to be and who I, I'll call it pretended on the outside, that I I thought I was trying to be, uh, you know, to measure up to what the outside world would uh, consider to be acceptable. And that's when alcohol and um, pills came into the picture, because that reduced the stress of this disconnect. It introduced its own set of circumstances. It, it introduced all these situations where I would behave one way and wish I were being something else, you know, like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde um, circumstances, that, that story, that I would be in one place, in one set of circumstances, this is the personality that I took on, and in another situation, in other circumstances, that's the personality that I would take on. And in doing so, I, I felt this big schism this big um, chasm between uh, who am I, really, and who am I pretending to be? And so that became a question that, that kind of drove my life. Who am I? Because I would try harder, and then I would get discouraged. I'm not enough. And then I would be told, don't give up. Try harder. Or you know better. And so who do, who do I think I am really got to be a central question in my life. And so from time to time, I would stretch the boundaries. I would stretch the rules. I would try something new, control freak that I was, and I would get out of my comfort zone. And then I would hear that question in a different manner. <laughs> I would hear somebody, an authority figure usually, ask me, well, who do you think you are trying that? you know, whatever it was that I had experimented with. And so it, it came to a point where I was, um, I was, I was really confused about this, this identity crisis, if you will, that I was having. And I can remember when I was a, a junior in college that I um, decided I was going to drop out of school. I was unable to do this any longer to pretend to be one person on the outside and know that I'm somebody else on the inside. And I had been running my life according to what other people told me was in my best interests. And yet I was not able to, I was not able to um, resolve that. And a couple of my good friends at that time talked me off the cliff and they said, you're going to finish school somewhere and you're going to do something with your life. And you're close enough now that you may as well finish what you've already started because you can always make this decision at a later point in time. And that turned out to be some of the, the better advice that I had been given because, um, as it turns out, no, for me, no decisions are permanent. One of the belief systems I had was that I cannot change my mind. And I learned through that experience that with more information, I have the, I have the, right to change my mind. And so the question of who am I anyway came, came up often for me. And so the challenge is this case of mistaken identity where I believe myself to be what everybody else is saying or what I am surmising from the way that they uh, interact with me 
that they must think I'm this or that. And when I got into recovery, I had to start with that question, who am I? What do I believe? What do I think? What do I like? So what's the solution to all of this? The solution is to realign your identity. And in unity, we affirm that all human beings are of God and therefore good at the core of our being. This is one of our core beliefs and our core traditions. It's, a, it's actually the second principle, which states our essence is of God and therefore we are entire, inherently good. And this God essence was fully expressed in Jesus the Christ. And so this is the statement of our true identity as spiritual beings, which is really what we want to focus on today. But what does that mean, really, being a spiritual being? I know that was a revelation for me. I'm back. Yay. Yeah, had a technical difficulty. I apologize for that. But yeah, when I first heard that in a Unity Church, I had never heard anything like that before in my life. And that was an idea that really caught my ear. And uh, it just kept me coming back. And, and that was, in a very real sense, the beginning of my spiritual growth path that began um, in the Unity Church. You know, there's a scripture that that uh, is based on. Did you share that already from the no. Gospel of John? No. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 20 says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. That that's a powerful statement that we understand to to back up and mean and be expressing what our second unity principle is expressing, which is the core of our the truth of who we are as as spiritual beings. You know, I think that the first time I heard that I'm a spiritual being having a human experience really kind of set me aside because I had never heard it explained like that before. <clears throat> that gave me a lot of, of thought. I had always um, thought the other, you know, had the belief system otherwise that I'm a human being doing the best I can and maybe I can get spiritual one of these days. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and even the 12-step programs, while it, it was critical for me to learn to get a, a realistic view of myself and my behavior, what mistakes I've made, to understand that I had been sick and not bad, and how to make different choices, it did not switch that belief system for me. It did not change the idea that I was a human just trying to get spiritual, you know, and in fact, I spent years trying to do that. Uh, it was a brand new idea for me to hear that I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Uh, for me, I know that even after many years of not only accepting that truth, but practicing that or living from that place, there's still moments where I lose sight of that. I think that's um, not uncommon at all in the in the human experience, but I always return to that, and um, it, it, it's always made sense to me. I remember when I first heard that basic, that core idea that said that, that we are spiritual beings, that for some reason it made perfect sense to me at a gut level. I'm not sure I could explain exactly why that was, but when I heard it, 
I felt like, yeah, this this, this person who was talking, um, my minister, this guy is saying something really important for me, and I need to hear more about this. I found it to be uplifting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I muddled along in the dark, <laughs> is the way I would describe it now, for a very, very long time, because I had rejected this doctrine of original sin, and I had rejected the idea that I was a bad person, because I had this core belief from a very young age that there was something in the world, running the world, and that people are basically good. And I don't know where I got that idea, but it colored my professional life. It colored my personal life, giving people the benefit of the doubt, um, each of those kind of things. So when I heard this, that that as part of a theological explanation that uh, God is good and we are of God and therefore, you know, our essence is good, I'm going, that fits. Mm-hmm. That fit at a core level for me that Yes, people are good. We might make bad choices, but people are good. And so that gave me hope that I would find a way to um, to connect the dots in this mystery of who am I? Yeah, I have found and, and noticed and talked with others and seen in the world that we, we are uh, uh, very deeply layered uh, beings. And it's certainly possible for us to turn our attention within and see, uh, you know, anger and, and darkness and hatred and separation, et cetera. But that's so if you stop there, um, I, I can see how one would walk away from that thinking, well, you know, I and all people are inherently bad because if I look within and tell the truth, then uh, I see what people are calling bad things. But if you don't stop there and you think, okay, well, get comfortable with that, accept that that is uh, an experience that you're having now and go a level deeper. What's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's underneath that? And I have found that when we do that, uh, we find that spark of the divine. You know, we find that goodness. We find that golden Buddha under the mud, so to speak. Um, but it takes work because if I if I were to just run, uh, when I encounter difficult aspects internally, then I I wouldn't be sticking around long enough to dig underneath those and and find the truth. You know, for me, this is a perfect echo of step two that says came to believe, and and you can finish the sentence however you like. The first part of the sentence is the part that um, I'm referring to because it is a process. It has been a process for me. Uh, many times I've run into something I didn't really like very much, and I didn't want to dig down below that. And so it took some time to get willing, you know, to to look deeper, to sit with this idea about myself, to uh, see if there was, um, to see what was in it for me. You know, they say if you look long enough, you'll find the blessing in the difficult circumstances and the difficult situations in life. And so it, it took a lot of support and coaching for me to to get there. But to your point, <clears throat> when I met the unity teachings, I understood this new layer. I understood that that um, behavior was one thing and thoughts were another. And underneath that were motives and belief systems that I didn't mm-hmm. even know I had. And that's what yeah. I had to get down to the bottom of. I think it's a hard path to walk. It, it takes a certain amount of faith and confidence 
uh, in that idea. And I, and I also think it takes a community. Uh, I'm not sure this is something that uh, one could do alone, or, or I should say, I'm not sure that I could do it alone. Maybe somebody could. But um, th this, this truth about the core nature of all of humanity, I feel like um, comes alive even more so when I'm in community with you know, fellow travelers, th those who are um, open to seeing uh, this truth in themselves and in one another. That reminds me of the first time I heard somebody explain it this way to me. I was in a, I was in a meeting, I'm sure it was a 12-step meeting, and they said, yes, you never know who's going to be God with skin on. Yeah, I like that. God with skin on. I've heard uh, Annie Lamott use that. <clears throat> Uh, description before. I like that. We're, we're all uh, God in drag, leading, leading one another home. I've heard that too, I think, from Ram Dass, perhaps. Yeah, and I yeah was it's, to... it's a great mystery. It absolutely is. So when I heard in Unity that I am enough just as I am, I really had this sense of relief. They, you know, told me I had nowhere I had to go, nothing more I had to learn, nothing else I had to do, that just as I am, I am enough. Yeah, I appreciate that thought also, because for me, what that did is open up the space of possibility within me. Because if I can understand that, or at least accept it, um, even on a temporary basis, you know, even if I'm borrowing it from someone else, so to speak, like we do sometimes in recovery programs as we're lear learning a new skill, even if I'm borrowing it, um, that creates a space in me to allow that truth to expand and to set aside old ways of seeing and, and think almost, well, you know, let me, let me hold this open and see if that truth rises up in me, see if I can have that experience. And, and I absolutely have it for me, it gives me something to aspire to that seems attainable, you know, progress along a path of how I think of it as greater expression of good, you know, and that, that's a broad statement and I'm, I mean it to be broad, the greater expression of good in all kinds, in all ways. It, it gives me, it helps me to know that that is possible and true. The idea of unlimited possibility. <clears throat> and so if this is true for me, isn't that also true for others? Um, this was a new idea for me that all human beings have this spark of God within us. And of course, in unity, we call that the Christ spirit. And so that was another idea that helped me open to this greater expression of good. I had to start finding that. So we're getting close to our break time. And when we come back, we'll open the phone lines for callers. And we'll continue our conversation. The number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, 
We depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea Cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. Grief can bring you down, but it doesn't have to take over your life. From Grieving to Believing is a transformational weekend taking place November 16th to the 18th at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. Join grief expert David Kessler, spiritual medium Maureen Hancock, and Paul Denniston, the creator of Grief Yoga in the beautiful Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. This unique event will take you into deep soul healing, addressing body, mind, and spirit. Reserve your space today at kripalu.org. Search Grieving to Believing. If you have struggled with low self-esteem and body acceptance, it's time to experience radical self-love with Dr. Ramdesh and the Body Temple. Every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central, Ramdesh guides you to live a more empowered life. Gain a deeper love and acceptance of yourself through yoga and meditation techniques. Listen in as fascinating guests join the show to share their wisdom and help you on your spiritual journey. Join the show with your question or comment here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We'll resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So just prior to the break, we were discussing this idea that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. It's encapsulated in the second um, 
principle, unity's second principle, that our essence is of God and therefore we're inherently good and that all human beings have the spark of God within us. So it was a big bite for me to to understand that I was inherently good and then to expand that to all these other people in the world in my life that um, I did not feel were always good. (laughs) That was a growing edge for me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I remember as I consider how have I used this truth that's expressed by our second principle? How have I used this truth to move from that case of mistaken identity, if you will, into a life of really of uh, much deeper meaning, uh, sort of uh, in technicolor has more uh, depth and layers, it feels like. And, and one is just to, to simply accept it. Now, I had that same experience as we talked about. I had that same experience that at a gut level, it just felt like, yes, this makes sense. I have not heard this before. I get this. I want to hear more about it. And so having that connection already, you know, there's something there that, uh, that the statement or that the truth was resonating with. Um, Building on that, I have tried to just use it as a general lens, if you will, or framework for understanding my life. And so I can kind of process any experience that I have through that understanding that I, at my core, am good as is every person and everything. And when I look at it that way, I I literally see different things and I see things differently. And that uh, helps me a great deal just day to day um, with little, you know, bumps along the way, able to, um, you know, see the driver on the highway that cut me off is, you know, not a bad or dumb or, or mean person, but rather someone just like me trying to get somewhere, probably thinking about something else, but, um, you know, no less of a divine being than myself. It just, it just makes traveling this world so much smoother and easier. You know, I have found this critical in my, um, in the work that I do, particularly with people in, in, uh, shelters and in, uh, transitional housing and things of that nature, because they have been otherized so much to the point that they don't even think of themselves. Um, and they don't, they have a low self-esteem as I was describing earlier in this sense of emptiness and not belonging and, and not being enough and all of that. And so when I talk to them, uh, I, I talk in terms of, um, well, one of the things that I'll say to them is how many of you got up today saying, I'm going to see what I can screw up today. <laughs> the hands never go up. I have yet to have anybody answer that question by raising their hand. You know, and I think it's the first time that uh, it's I, I'm testing this concept, if you will, out in the laboratory of life. Um, that is this true? Now, other people think badly of themselves, but is this true that they get up in the morning and think they're going to mess up something today on purpose? I have yet to see anybody that says that. And so I I have confirmed for myself over and over again this uh, this idea that resonates with my core belief that all people are good. Um, they may express it poorly. Sometimes may make make bad choices, but so I, in my own personal development, I've pondered this idea in all kinds of circumstances. What if, what if this is true? What if 
it is true that everybody is made in the image and likeness of God. What if everybody has this spark of divinity within them? What if everybody is at the core level good, even though they may be sometimes bad actors? Can yeah. I, you know, can I see God in each of these other human beings? Yeah, and 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 being able uh, to differentiate behavior from core identity, I think, is really important. And I can, you know, look back at my own life. Uh, it's probably the best or easiest way for me to affirm that, you know, outward behavior is not equal to uh, core identity. People can, including myself, can act in ways that are uh, less than ideal or even um, downright mean or bad, and still at our core be divine, have that spark of the divine in us. And I, one way that I use this on a daily basis also is just as kind of as a guide for being in community with others, which is what I was hearing you. It sounded like that that's how you're coaching uh, those that you're helping on, the, on their recovery path. You're kind of helping them to, to realize and see themselves as uh, a human, a child of God with the spark of the divine. Um, and then, of course, it's very natural that all others also. And so this can, for me, informs the way that I'm in a group or in a community with others. So, for example, um, if I am at a uh, recovery meeting, and, you know, uh, those of us in recovery come from all places in life, all sizes and shapes, all stripes and differences. And uh, I don't always uh, like everyone at first. Um, I'm usually uh, pretty good about being neutral, but I have to confess I have encountered people where my initial re response was not good, that I don't, you know, I don't like that person or what have you. But by putting this principle into practice, literally sitting there and thinking, um, looking for and seeing the good at, at the center of them, understanding that whatever it is they're saying or doing is filtered through all kinds of experiences that I have no way of knowing what this person has been through. And so to continually uh, give people the benefit of the doubt uh, when it comes to stuff like that, at least um, in a community meeting and using this, this unity second principle, this idea of uh, mistaken identity of the divine at the center of all of us, using that as a guide for being in community with others in a healthy and helpful and supportive manner all around. It helps me and it helps others, I think. You know, I feel like I was a slow learner <laughs> on this because you've heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. Well, that was my intermediate step when I would be in community with people I disagreed with or that rubbed me the wrong way or, you know, irritated me or whatever. Um, the, the first thing I wanted to do was stop listening you know, I, or, or ban them from the room. Why do they have to be so noisy and disruptive and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so I had a lot to learn about first tolerance and then secondly, acceptance before I could ever get to seeing the spark of the divine within them. You know, I had, I had this, this progressive, these progressive steps I had to work on. I couldn't just make a single jump and go, oh, okay, today I believe everybody's got a spark of the divine and they're, they're good at their core. I had to work on these other 
and, and I realized today they're deep-seated belief systems that I had about how people should show up, how they should act, what they should should be like, the things they should say. You know, I had this whole framework in my head about the way life should be. And if somebody didn't fit in that, my solution was to turn off my ears. Well, as we know, that doesn't function very well in, in, in life. And so I had to go through these these very tiny steps of first working on tolerance. And that looked like I, I determined that I was going to learn something from every person in the room. And so whether I liked them or not, whether they presented well or not, whether they used proper English or not, I took my notebook to every meeting and I wrote down one idea that they brought to the table that I could use in my recovery. And that helped me get through that phase of intolerance. Yeah, that's a great exercise. I mean, that is almost the definition of a, a wonderful practical thing that's easy to understand that any of us could do today. Uh, I could go to a meeting and do exactly what you just described. Take a piece of paper, listen to everyone, listen for something helpful, good, positive in any way, and write that down. I think that's really powerful. I love that you mentioned tolerance. Um, s somewhere in our literature, we talk about tolerance being our code. And and I think that tolerance is a, it's a, it's almost a, a gateway concept. It's certainly important, but I hope that we can move from tolerance, as you said, to acceptance. And one of the ways that helped me move to acceptance, um, which is, you know, kind of in, in a sense, another, another level of seeing the good in all people is to understand that acceptance does not mean approval. If I accept someone for being who they are, uh, and I am willing to see the divine in them, that doesn't mean that I approve of everything they say. It doesn't mean that I agree with every opinion that they hold. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I accept them exactly the way they are. That's a very different thing. And it was, it was really instrumental for me to understand the difference between those two things so that I could learn to move uh, through tolerance to acceptance, even in cases where I certainly uh, didn't approve or agree with what everybody was saying. For me, acceptance means that I have lost the emotional charge around it. Mm -hmm. You know, with tolerance, I still have an emotional charge, usually negative. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and if I am getting to acceptance, I have lost the emotional charge, whether it's fear or anger or, you know, irritation or whatever it is. And, and somebody can just be, it feels a lot more neutral. And I would also say that, we got, that in unity, in, in this uh, idea that there's a spark of the divine within every person, that we go one step beyond acceptance, and that is to celebration. Ah. To, you know, that, so for me, the progression looks like tolerance, acceptance, and celebration. And, and for me, the acceptance piece, I had to be coached, and I was coached by a sponsor that told me, they're okay doing what they're doing, what do you need to do for you? Mm -hmm. I heard that hundreds of times. They are okay doing what they're doing. What do you need to do for you? Because I, that was my growing edge. It wasn't their problem. That was my problem. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's removing the log from our own eye before we criticize the splinter in someone else's eye. I, lo I love that about tolerance. tolerance. Tolerance is they're wrong, but I'll be nice about it. You know, and exactly. acceptance is almost, uh, they're wrong, but I don't care. Or, uh, 
you know, everyone's got their own way, but maybe I still have a sense of um, what I might call the right way, which is what? My way, of course. Um, and I love how you're taking that uh, even a layer deeper to celebration because I don't think I could hold on even to the idea of wrongness or or having my relationship to another being um, in any way a response to the thought that, well, that person's carrying a false idea or they're wrong about this or about that. Just let all that go and celebrate who they are, you know, as a unique expression of God. So for me, that whole progression required that I use tools that we talk about in unity. And the biggest one is the power of release, you know, allowing myself to let go of these ideas that are holding me back, these things that are keeping me stuck, like I have to be right. (laughs) And as they say, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's one of them. And so I have found that every time I have a pain point in relationship with somebody else, there's an old idea driving it. I am stuck on an idea about something that I need to to let go of. And so, um, you know, using denials and affirmations or whatever tool that I choose to use to release this idea has been critical in me moving forward with that. And another uh, thing has been to look for the good or to look for the God in each person, to actually look for it as opposed to just noticing it when, when they show up and I'm there to, to look for it, to put on my God-colored glasses, if you will, to see what I can see. Yeah, to, to actively seek it rather than notice it when it shows up kind of loudly, I think are are two different things. Um, I love what you're saying about letting go. I have also found that that seems to go hand in hand with the idea of uh, us all humans, all being uh, divine at our center, you know, having the spark of the divine within us being good by nature um, means that, well, if I'm going to express that in the world, in general, in life, then there are some things I need to let go of. You know, using that image of the golden Buddha statue that's covered with mud, uh, I need to do something with the mud. It, it's not that I don't have to add any gold. That's already there. I just have to uh, let go of anything that might be blocking the expression of that spirit within me. And so that that path, and, you know, even in the, in, in the old old church, they have a a Latin phrase, via negativa, that means exactly that. The, you know, via, by, by way of the negative, by way of removing that which is not God, leaves only that which is God. And for me, that, that just linked so nicely with the unity second principle, the idea that we are of God and we are inherently good. Um, it, it makes it a natural to ask, okay, then what, what needs to be let go of so that I can, so that that which is already there will, by its very nature, express more so. You know, and I see this again every day with the people that I work with when, when they are um, supported, encouraged, affirmed, um, patted on the back for the things that they are doing right. There's a word for it. It's called the Pygmalion principle. People will rise to what you believe of them. Mm -hmm. And when I believe that they have the spark of the divine within them and and I can encourage that to shine, um, uh, they do amazing things. 
They absolutely do. They grow in amazing ways. And so, you know, this helped me understand that, um, you know, what we talk about with our, our prayer and meditation and, and our uh, principle about uh, connecting with God, that I don't have to have somebody else remove the mud, so to speak. I get yeah. to do that. Yes, you have to. Yeah, Only nobody you. Can, <laughs> no. Uh, no one yeah. can do it for me. That's right. You but know? you can't do it alone. Right. Well, I can't see the mud. Yes. Alone. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's part of the value of community for me is that well, there's two pieces to it. One is um, they say if you spot it, you got it. So yeah. when I can see the mud on your face, guess what? I've probably got <laughs> some on mine. And the other is is that um, to bring awareness because there are lots of blind spots I know that I have, and community helps me become aware of where those blind spots are. And then I can choose to do something with it or not as I want to. Yes, I like to affirm I have no blind spots that I'm aware of. <laughs> and then move off of that onto what you're saying that, you know, but if they were there, they'd probably show up in aspects and other people that get my attention. So maybe I should pay attention to what's going on within me. Um, well, something you go uh, about working with others reminded me of this just this powerful truth that we all need to be heard and to be seen. Many of us have not been heard and not been seen. Um, and that is such a, a damaging experience that we can completely lose sight of who we really are to the point where, um, you know, that idea is completely absent. And so when we are willing to see the divine in others, to uh, regard them as having at their very core, the goodness of God, uh, we are motivated to see and hear them all of a sudden, which just in itself is healing. So it's almost you make this connection between the divine in oneself and the divine in another. Uh, when we make that connection, it allows us all to be seen and to be heard, which is uh, incredibly healing just on its own. It absolutely is, and I think that goes to the core of so many things. When I reflect on my childhood and, you know, and, and reflect on bad behavior, attention-seeking behavior, and, and all other kinds of things that show up, I think that uh, it goes back to the, uh, do I matter? I'm here. Nobody mm -hmm. sees me. Do I matter? Uh, do, I, do, I, do I make any difference in the world? And not in an ego sort of way but in a why am I here sort of way. Who am I? Right, like almost like an existential crisis kind of point of view. Um, and I think that that is a place that we can all be when we don't have those kinds of uh, what I would call heart connections or you know core connections with those around us. It's very natural to then you know feel isolated, at least for me, and wonder, um, you know, what is this all about? That perhaps why I uh, viewed the world as just flesh and circumstances is because if I don't have that sense of connection with others, then I can't really find it in myself. And that leaves only that which I observe around me. One thing that's helped me with this is to notice how I feel at times when I forget to see it in others. You know, if I forget 
that everyone has the spark of the divine in them. And I forget to see that in other people. I can detect a change in my own experience in the world, you know, in the way that I feel. And by using that almost as a barometer, um, it can help me remember, you know, it can prompt me. Um, oh, I'm really uh, annoyed and irritated at people in general right now. What might be going on? Well, one thing that might be going on is I have forgotten to look for the good in every person. Uh, can be very challenging to do at times, but I find that um, noticing how I feel when I forget to see it in others is one way to help me remember to um, make that a practice, you know, to do that each day, each moment, to look for the best, for the good in other people. Yeah, and this is a practical tool, but something I noticed is that if, and I was taught, that if, if I am irritated to the point of having adrenaline in my body, I have to deal with that before I can get back to noticing the good in others, because then my brain is functioning under these, the influence of this chemical, even though it's produced by my own body, and I do not make good decisions, and I don't think straight in that case. And so the practical tool for that is it's time to go take a walk <laughs> or yeah. run the stairs or, or so I have to blow off the steam before I can regain my center. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I, I see the truth in that because if I, if I get beyond a certain point at being frustrated just in general, uh, which always turns into frustrated with those around me, um, I can't in one simple step um, move back to a place of peace or balance. Um, I have to, as you say, deal with the reality of my experience in that moment. And that might be to, uh, you know, get my body moving. It might be to eat something if I'm hungry. You know, it might be to rest if I'm tired. Um, you know, it could be to sit uh, and take some time apart in a time of contemplation or meditation, you know, if, if that's uh, what's missing. Um, but And once I address that, as you're pointing out, then, yeah, it's a lot easier to um, kind of have to heal ourselves, and then we can show up in the world as a healing agent. And, of course, it's always a cycle, right? We don't wait till we're fully healed and then finally, once and for all, go out in the world. Uh, we do it in a cycle, just like our just like our breath. We inhale and we exhale. We do what we need and we let it go. Well, and the interesting part about that is I don't know I'm not healed until I'm back out in community. <laughs> yeah, we had a teacher that told a story about a man who uh, went to a monastery that was separate from society in general, and he was doing great there. You know, it's just balanced and even for 10, 15, 20 years, within 10 minutes of leaving that place and getting back in the real world, all that was out the window. <laughs> so there's more, more learning to happen there. Yeah, I think it does have to happen in a cycle like that. But um, we need to move on into our fifth principle, which states that it's not enough to know these truths. We have to live them. And so we have to take action in order to grow and recover. So, so here's, here's something that we can do or that you can do if you're listening this week to move from that case of mistaken identity to a life of deep meaning using unity's second principle, which affirms our true identity as spiritual beings. So think of an image or an idea that reminds you of who you really are as a spiritual being. It could, for example, 
be an image of a golden light shining out from your heart space. Or maybe it could be a profound sense of joy deep within you. Or you could even have a different image or idea that gives you a sense of your true highest self as a spiritual being. Uh, more important than what it is is to just pick one thing, something simple uh, to focus on and take that into a quiet time of prayer and meditation. So we just hold that idea and simply relax take it easy. There's never a need to struggle. So for an example, for now, let's use that image of a golden light shining out from our heart space. And so while you hold that vision, use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to feeling less than the spiritual being that you truly are. You could say something like, the thoughts of feeling limited or bad have no power over me. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it out loud and say it with conviction. The thoughts of feeling limited or bad has no power over me. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I am a child of God of all good. Therefore, I too am inherently good. And then just take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. And in gratitude, give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Thoughts of feeling limited or bad have no power over me. I am a child of God of all good. Therefore, I too am inherently good. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you've found something that will help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners and callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. Listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.